Welcome to season four of Would Like to Meet Podcast. Since releasing season three, I have won bronze for best sex and relationship podcast at the first Irish Podcast Awards in September 2022. A huge thank you to everyone that has listened and voted for this podcast. I also have a new podcast with Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist and relationship expert called Tough Love. So if you have an interest in love, dating or relationships, give it a listen. In the next few weeks, I will continue to speak to expert guests to help you on your dating and relationship adventures. If there is a topic that you would like me to discuss or if you think there is an expert guest that you would like me to interview, please let me know by contacting me at lovehq.ie. Thank you. So today I have Dr. Nicola Fox Hamilton, whose research as a cyber psychologist has focused on communication through technology, particularly in the areas of online dating, relationships and attraction. What a fantastic and very interesting, well, definitely as interesting to me or anybody that listens to this podcast. Um, what is a cyber psychologist? Um, so cyber psychology as a field is looking at the interaction between people and technology. So what happens when we interact with technology, interact mm-hmm. with each other through technology, what impact it has on our behavior, mm-hmm. on how we feel, on how we think, etc. So it's a really, really broad field. It's everything from virtual reality and all of the ways that psychology can impact how we interact with that yeah. to you know, online behavior like bullying and harassment and trolling to online dating and how we communicate in our relationships through technology, like very, very broad, all the way through to consumer behavior and everything else in between. Fantastic. And what made you decide to do online dating and relationships side of things? (laughs) So I originally got into the master's in cyber psychology, thinking that it would benefit my career as a graphic designer, which is what I did originally, thinking that like the whole side of community building and consumer behavior and all of that would be really useful, which it would have been had I continued in that direction. Um, But I actually found the social psychology side so much more fascinating. And at the time, I had just moved back from the States not long before I started the master's and I was newly single. And I noticed that the way Irish guys approached you was quite different in Ireland to how it might be in the States, in Los Angeles, where I was living. I hear that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I was wondering, like, if you looked at online dating profiles and compared American men with Irish men, what would that look like? What would, you know, be the kind of things that would emerge from it in terms Mm -hmm. of how they represent themselves in their dating profiles. So that was what I decided to do for my master's. And I found the whole field of online dating research just really, really interesting. I had a little bit of experience of online dating and I just thought it'd be fascinating. And so when I finished the master's, I decided to continue on and keep looking at it for my PhD research. And just kind of out of curiosity, which one, which type of uh, profiles were, which, were you more attracted to, the American style of profiles or the Irish style of male profiles? Well, I was being a very objective researcher and okay. I was also <laughs> married by the time I was doing this uh, research. Okay. <laughs> okay, so it's just different. It's like, yeah. you know, when you ask your mom, which one of your kids do you, <laughs> do you yeah. love the most? It, it, you know, equally in different ways, you know. Yes. <laughs> kind um, of like what that. was interesting was that American guys at the time now, so this is before the advent of Tinder, which really changed yes. a lot of how people approach dating bios in particular across all the platforms it shortens them all but pre-tinder american guys were writing on average three times more than irish Mm -hmm. guys which meant that they were giving a lot more detail um, about themselves and the kind of things they were interested in they Mm -hmm. talked a lot more about friends and family they talked more about work um so and they were more specific about things so instead of saying i like sports or I like football, they would say, I go to the gym three times a week and I play softball regularly with my friends. Whereas Irish guys would say, I like football. And you don't know if that means you like playing football or you like watching Watching football on TV. <laughs> Which because are two quite in different fairness, things. yeah. Well, in fairness, Tinder just celebrated its tenth birthday only last September, and so relatively, if you think if humans have been on, you know, on this earth for over two million years, and here we are, the internet is only what is it, 40 years old, realistically, its official birthday is the 1st of January 1980, if you look at that, and Tinder's only 10 years old. So like, if you think of the evolution of humans and dating, like it's so relatively new. Now, I suppose from my point of view, being a matchmaker, um, when we're saying that the American guys may have written three times the amount for their profiles, do you think that might have a little bit to do with the gift of the gab and being Irish? So do you think that perhaps 
the way people used online dating. So I, I'm kind of going around the, the way here on this, but the way people use online dating, maybe as an Irish person, they might prefer the actual human conversation as opposed to giving their profile like a CV. It's like, I'll give you a taster, but I'd much rather have this conversation in person because they're maybe a little bit more confident in who they are or the conversation that they're able to have, like their personalities being different. Yeah, I suspect that might be part of it. And also the cultural differences, you know, I think Americans come across as a lot more confident. Mm-hmm. And so they find, and they're also in a culture which is extremely individualistic and you have to sell yourself all the time. Yeah, you're um, presenting. In order to get ahead. And so you're yes. promoting yourself. And so they're more, I think they're more comfortable with promoting themselves. Like yeah. In the profiles I looked at, so I selected from across American cities and rural areas and the same with Ireland. And in all of the American ones I looked at, none of the guys said, I hate having to do this. Whereas Irish guys did. They didn't the like first having thing, to Like if you look down. through, yeah, they're like, hate this bit. It's yeah. regularly written on profiles. So it is, I hate yeah. this bit or I fill this in later or whatever they put up. What I tend um, to say to people is, um, you know, think of it because I try and make it relatives. Like if you were selling your car on Dundee, you know, that you would like clean out your car. You'd probably bring it to somewhere scenic. You'd take all the nice photographs, you know, you shine it all up and everything like that. So now does your online dating profile look as shiny as your lovely car that you're trying to sell on done deal? And if they, sometimes guys are like, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. So it's kind of putting yeah. it into relative terms. Um, yeah. It is funny because we know the photograph is the most important part of the element. It's the first thing that people are yes. filtering on. Like it's it's the thing that people are attracted to. And yet some of the photographs that people put in their profiles are, are unbelievable that they think mm-hmm. that that would be attractive. And I think a lot of it is designed, the, the, a lot of the photos guys put up are photos that they and other guys would think are interesting or attractive, yes. but not necessarily what women would think are interesting yeah. and attractive. So like dead so, you fish, know, the, tropic, like this, the dead fish, yeah, the dead yeah. tiger, the car. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I can understand. It's, it, we're just, it is um, men and women are completely different when it comes to dating. Um, you know, from your research, how has dating, cha- like online dating changed how we date as, as humans? So it's it's actually quite rapidly changed how we meet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become the single most common way to meet um, out of everything else. So, you know, if you the, the evolution of dating as a concept is also very new. Um, it really only started probably around the 40s and 50s in America, a little bit probably later here. Um, yeah. And initially people would have particularly women would have gone out with someone who was very, very local to them. Whoever the most acceptable person was that would allow them to escape from their parents' house and get some freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they got a little bit more expansive when they could get into the workplace a bit more. And it was people often that they met through work or through friends. And as that progressed, like meeting through church, for example, went down, meeting through work went up. Okay. Um, as meeting through work got a little bit less common and became a little bit more inappropriate because a lot of the early work relationships would, there would have been quite a power differential. Um, yes. It would have been bosses and secretaries and things like that a lot of the time. Um, people started to meet in bars and restaurants and when they were out with their friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then online dating came along and it just really rapidly overtook all of those things. And yeah. now I think people are very conscious that meeting through work isn't such a great idea. And so a yeah. lot of people don't meet that way anymore. They'll still meet while they're out. They'll meet through friends, but it's more, it's less purposeful. I think now a lot of the time, a lot of people have yeah. kept their dating separate from their other things. I've talked to young people sometimes and it's a mix, but some of them talk about how when they go out with their friends, they want to focus on their friends. They don't want to yeah. be scanning the room, trying to see if there's someone that they can meet up with or potential dates and then leave their friends mm-hmm. behind. They, they prefer, some of them prefer to keep it a little bit separate. Um, yeah. So it, do, it has changed how we met. Now, whether or not it's changed relationships is another question because online dating is just a way to meet people. It's a way to increase the, the potential pool of um, suitors that you have available yes. rather than a way to find love so much. It's the meeting in person bit is where you have the potential to find a relationship. But online dating itself is more just increasing the possibility of meeting that person. One thing that I suppose 
from what you're saying there is what I've observed is that because people are maybe meeting their long term partner a little bit older in life now, like if you think of our parents generation, they would have been in there. My parents were 23 and 24 getting married. Like if you actually think about that now Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends only started getting married from their mid 30s onwards. And that's only one generation. Um, Yeah. I would think there was a natural evolution of kind of where people met and it was less likely the workplace. And the reason being one is because women were becoming more uh, senior in in companies, but also because they were that little bit older, they were more established in their career and therefore they had more to lose. Mm. Would, would you find that at all in your research? Um, I haven't seen the detail like that in the mm-hmm. research, but I suspect that's probably the case. But it's also the fact that a lot of people who met in their 20s would have met when they were in college, where there's a lot yes. of possible people to date. Yeah, because everybody's single. Hit, the probability is higher, yes. Yeah. So when you hit your 30s, about 20% of people are still single, which is yes. a greatly reduced pool. Um, some of those are single for good reason. Yes. And you have much less opportunity to meet people. So online dating has always, since the invention of it, has always been the go-to for people over 30, particularly mm-hmm. because it increases your chances of meeting someone. What was really interesting with Tinder and then the apps that followed it, is that it changed that dynamic completely. Mm -hmm. So 18 to 24 year olds in 2011, only 10% of them dated online. And I suspect that many of them might have been rural or the LGBTQ community where they've got access to less available people. Um, But once Tinder came along, it grew from 30% to 50% really really quickly in a matter of years. and so it's it's in or around 50% of people meet partners now online in the sort of 20s age group. And that yeah. gets a little bit higher again when you get over over 30. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting dynamic the way it's changed. Do you think the fact that younger people are now using online dating, do you think it affects their mental health and their kind of personalities or their way they navigate dating and relationships. So what the research suggests is that for some people, it's really quite positive, particularly for people who are a bit more shy, socially anxious, who are more rejection sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, they find online dating easier. They find it easier to be themselves online. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't feel the sting of rejection so strongly online because you're not asking somebody publicly face to face, etc. And so it's a little bit easier to navigate it. And you also get people who are uncertain about their skills with dating, like how to flirt, all those kind of things. And they'll sometimes use online dating as a way to practice that, which I think is really useful. Um, There's certainly no evidence that it's impacting on people's mental health in a negative way. However, I will say that some quite a lot of people find it frustrating, anxiety mm-hmm. inducing. There's harassment and there, there's different negative impacts for men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, so for men, the fact that they often get very little response can be quite anxiety inducing yes. and, and make them feel not so great because they feel like nobody on this platform likes me. Yes. Um, when in actual fact, it's a lot of men's experience and it's the way that people use the platform, the way they use the platform and the yes. way women use it is quite different. And it results in this effect where women get a lot of attention and men get very little. Um, but women's kind of negative experiences are more about quite serious harassment and mm-hmm. sexual messages that weren't asked for, um, images that weren't asked for being called names, verbal threats, threats of physical harm, those kinds of things, which can also Mm -hmm. have a negative impact. That's a pretty big difference in the type of negative, uh, a negative kind of experience, you know, like one being the rejection, which is kind of somewhat part of dating anyway, and other being actual threats of physical violence and um, sexual kind of, I'd say, I don't know why we'd phrase it, but actually sending photographs. Um, Does does a lot of that happen online dating? Yes, Um, particularly for certain groups of people. So if you are a straight, white, educated young man, you are much, much less likely to have any of those kinds of harassment. Okay. If you are a young woman, particularly, 
particularly a young woman of color or have anything else that sets you out. If you're a member of the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. if you're disabled, you are much more likely to come in for harassment than anybody else. So young women experience it the most, but women aged up to 45 experience it at incredibly high levels. And it's ranging from things like continued contact after saying you're not interested. That's the most common one. And that partly stems from men's experiences where they're not getting responses, where they start to get so frustrated that they just keep sending messages going, why aren't you contacting me? Why aren't you contacting? And then it gets kind of abusive and they start calling Mm -hmm. people names. Um, But women experience a lot of that. Okay. The second most common one is unsolicited graphic images and messages where you kind of say, hey, how's your weekend? And you get a dick dick pic or a sexual message of some kind. Yes. Um, Then there's verbal threats, name calling, slurs, those kind of things. They're less common, but still too common. And then threats of physical harm are much less common. But for young women, they're still around 10% Mm -hmm. have experienced something like that. So those numbers are just far too high. They are far too high. I think a lot of the online platforms, in fairness, have tried to counteract that. So I know on Tinder you can't send a direct message, uh, direct photograph anymore. I think with mess with platforms like Plenty of Fish, you have to message three or four times before you can send a photograph and everything. So they are trying to eliminate it. But there is like a huge yeah. difference there. One of the, sti- yeah. the statistics I came across when I was researching um, online dating uh, yesterday evening was that 16% of all likes from women go to the top 1% of men. And so, like, I, I, now this is, came from, a, it's, it was from a Pew Research Centre uh, mm. or PEW Research Centre. Um, and they were saying that 16%, yeah, of the women's likes go to 1% of men. So I'm sure it is quite frustrating for men that are maybe that their profile photographs are not great or they haven't put a huge amount of effort in, but it does show that putting in a bit of effort is going to make a big difference. Yeah, there's there's really mixed results on that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't actually seen those specific results yet, but I've seen other studies where they find that the most attractive men actually get less messages from women um, yes. because there's... In general, um, when you see very, very attractive people, they're associated with less trustworthiness. And so we tend to go for the people who are a bit less attractive. Yes. But men actually go for the most attractive women. They get the most amount of messages from men. Men aren't going for a lot of the time, aren't messaging women who are of a similar level of attractiveness themselves, where women are much, much more likely to do that. Um, And because with online dating, asking somebody out, well, you're not really asking them out, but getting in touch with somebody or making contact with somebody is so much easier. It's a much lower barrier than in person. People will contact people who are much better looking than them than they would in real life because the repercussions of it are so low. They just won't respond if they're not interested. But if they are interested, then you invested very little. So it's it's quite um, easier, a different dynamic to in person. Okay, very good. And do you find that um, the LGBTQ, you know, uh, daters will say, are they, do they use online dating differently? Uh, There's actually, unfortunately, very, very little research on how they Mm -hmm. use it. A lot of the research in online dating focuses on gay men and risk taking and condom use and STIs and and things like that. There's very little just regular use of online dating. What Mm -hmm. is there? Um, shows that there is a difference in the kind of profiles that people create and who they contact and how they contact them. Um, So obviously, you know, gay men are a particular cohort that are quite different and are sort of more like straight men, but a little more extreme than that. But Mm -hmm. within their community, there are certain acceptable things like sending unsolicited images within the gay community is considered more acceptable than straight women would find it. Now, yes. that does not mean by any means that every gay man thinks it's acceptable. There's plenty of them that yeah. don't, but it is considered a bit more acceptable within that community. Whereas on the other end, lesbians have quite a different dynamic. It's like as far away from straight men as you can get. Yes, <laughs> and I can imagine. they are also more likely to make friends with the people they meet online and stuff like that. Um, yes. 
so it's it's quite interesting, like the kind of things they write about and emphasize in their profiles tend to be a little bit different, um, understandably, because they're, you know, they, they're part of a different culture. They have their own things that are important to them. And of course, these are really broad strokes. There's huge, huge variety within yes. each of these sets but of groups so as individual. well. Yeah, it is so yeah. individual, even per, per journey for each person. That's one thing I found with matchmaking. But what I have found with um, gay men, it's very often when they come to me for matchmaking, they say to me things like, um, there is nowhere for us to date for love. It's You can find endless amounts of hookups that you want on all of the platforms, but it's very hard to date for love if you're a gay man and you're trying to do online dating. So that's why a lot of them come to me for um, for matchmaking. The other thing, a bit of research that I suppose I came across when I was looking at the LGBTQ community is that... Um, so it's how often they're likely to actually message the person. So straight men are way more likely that if they match with somebody that they will message. Um, straight ladies, they are, you know, less likely than straight men to message. But with the lowest being is lesbian ladies. That um, because they're both on the lower end of, of actually going from matching to sending a message, it's a lot less likely. So definitely if you really wanted to increase your odds with online dating would be just to send the message if you do match with somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the research even shows that like men in, within the heterosexual community, men send four times more messages than women. So that dynamic offline is reproduced online, which is a shame because it's so easy okay. to ask somebody out online. But when women make the first contact, the matches are more successful for them like yes. they feel better about the match. It's more likely to result in a connection um, and everybody like the men are equally as happy with it. So it actually works out better for everybody if women get in touch first, yes. uh, which okay. is quite interesting. So that's one of the things I always try and encourage women to do is actually make the first move Send go first after message. who you're interested in. Okay, Because I think one of the problems with the way that men use the apps is they swipe right nearly everybody. A lot of them, okay. of course, not all of them, but wow. because they're not getting much feedback, they don't filter at the swiping stage as much as women do. Women swipe okay. on not that many people, okay. Um, whereas men swipe on most of them. And so men's matching rate is about a half a percent. Women's is about 10%. And then men send really short first messages that aren't personalized. Like the one study found that the median character length for first messages for men to women was 12 characters, not oh, wow. words, characters. Oh, wow. Okay. And 25% of them were six characters or less. So that's just like, hey, what's up? Or how are you? You know, yeah. it doesn't say anything. Whereas women's are 122 characters. They're actually looking at the person's profile and saying something to them. Okay. Um, and so for women to actually take control of it and actually go, well, who am I interested in is probably a better way to go about it. Um, yes because they are, they have a little bit of a higher standard. Like women traditionally have always had a greater range of things that they would like in a partner. Um, it may stem from evolutionary psychology. It may stem from the fact that we were unequal in the mm -hmm. world for a long time. And so, you know, had certain things that we desired from somebody so that they yeah. would stick around and, and um, provide so, some yeah. resources. But women tend to are hypergamous, so they tend to date across their social level and up and men are uh, hypogamous, so they date across their social level and down and therefore what yeah. they're looking for is different in partners. And so yeah. if you're dating up, it always tends to be a little bit different. Now, look, that's yeah. the, the very basic way of saying it, but it certainly is. Yeah. Um, and I think know, that's changing quite a lot. Like some of the yeah. stats we're seeing are, you know, Things like being the same ethnicity, religion, having an increased income, more education, et cetera, were used to be very important to women. Mm -hmm. And those have really decreased over time. Um, and there's much more like that I'm too. looking for someone like me with similar values and attitudes rather than they need to have these things. Yeah, I think good sense of humour, work-life balance and lifestyle are probably the three main things. And obviously whether or not they want to have children and smoking as well, but they're kind of the main characteristics. How successful yeah. is online dating for finding love? I mean, it is pretty successful. I mean, a, a third of marriages between 2009 and 12 started online somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, about half of those started in online dating. So people meet in other forums online. So a lot of people meet through gaming, social media, the comment section of newspapers, Twitter, all sorts of places. Wow. Um, 
but online dating is increasing in that proportion of people that meet online. Um, and it's just, you know, it's the most common way to meet now for people in long-term relationships. Um, there's a couple of big studies that were done in 2014, 15. So they're quite old now and they're really before the point of Tinder and those kinds of apps and before people in their 20s were meeting online. And they looked at the success of relationships over time. And really the, the variance in numbers was really, really tiny. One of them found that marriages were more successful if you met online. The other one found that you were slightly less likely to get married if you met online, but you were more likely to stay in a long-term relationship. And if you mm -hmm. did get married, you're a little bit less likely to, or a little bit more likely to get divorced. But like the, the difference in numbers was so, so tiny. It was basically, it really doesn't matter if you meet online or offline, it makes no difference. Okay. Um, so it's quite successful. And really it just increases your chances of meeting someone. What's one of the interesting things for me in the States in particular, there's no research on this in Ireland or the UK that I've seen, but in the States, it's breaking down barriers between communities because typically people would have met people that they bumped into in some way, whether that was in social circles, in bars, mm -hmm. and people tend to congregate with other people like them. And okay. so white people tended to marry white people because that yes. was who they met and the same with black people and so on. And now you're getting much more intermarriage, interracial mm -hmm. marriage, cross religious marriage, etc., because people have a chance to meet all sorts yes. of different people now. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that's a really positive aspect of it. Yeah, I think definitely as well with the price of flights and being able to maintain a long distance relationship and those sorts of things. And then the likes of Tinder Global, where you can meet people internationally or set your your location to different locations. So one thing that I would have, you know, come across is say a lot of Irish people that are maybe living in Australia or they're living in London or they're living in Canada and they're looking to come home. And, you know, they might contact me and say, look, you know, can I do a consultation before I come home? I'll meet you in person when I get home. But like one thing I always say to them is, why don't you start a month or two before you come home and putting your pin in Dublin or wherever they're from mm. and kind of getting the dating process started? And a lot of them said it was quite a positive experience that they'd never thought of that before, that they've already, they'd only really dated around their own location. So it certainly kind of reduces the barriers, we'll say. But I do still think, I suppose anyway, that comes to me, they're looking for the perfect kind of scenario. Like they're definitely coming to me with their Santa wish list, you know, <laughs> their dream house, their Barbie car, <laughs> everything like that. So they do tend to want to meet people similar to them. They're kind of maybe less open to meeting people that are very different to them. Even with people that are, we'll say Catholic and non-practicing, they still want to meet someone that's Catholic upbringing, you know, even though they don't, they're, it's not part of their life anymore. Um, what do you think people need to be aware of and cautious about when they're online dating? So there's there's quite a few things. I'm going to touch on one thing that you just spoke about where yes. people abroad were maybe dating online for like a month or so before they come back here. Mm -hmm. So there's one thing that is important to be aware of when you communicate with somebody online, particularly through text. So if you're video messaging, it's not, it doesn't really happen as much. But when you're communicating through text, you have created a positive impression of the person in your mind when you see their dating profile and you get in touch with them. If you've swiped right in them and you've contacted them, you obviously find them attractive in some way. Yes. And that can create a halo effect where you view everything after that a bit more positively, unless they say something outrageous that like mm -hmm. disperses that. Yes. And when you are communicating via text, you have some more time to edit and present yourself well so you can kind of present your best self. You mm -hmm. also have a lot more cognitive resources to do that because you don't have to worry about what your body's doing, about blushing or stammering or where to put your yes. hands or how your clothes are sitting or what is happening in the environment around you. So you don't have to worry about any of those possible negative cues that you might yeah. um, project to other people. And so you create quite a positive impression. The other person might read it even more positively because of the halo effect. And what okay. can happen is over time, you can build a very idealized impression of the person. You can also get a heightened sense of emotion and intimacy and people can self-disclose a lot more and it can feel really good and really positive and like you've really, really connected with this person. But if that goes on too long, it's fine if that goes on for a little short while. Yes. Because the gap between the reality and you're imagining the person isn't too big. Mm -hmm. But the longer it goes on, the more the person becomes a fantasy rather than reality. Okay. And when you meet in person, even if they're very nice, they can't possibly match that fantasy that you have in your head. 
And so texting somebody for ages, I noticed when I did some research with people during COVID, they were quite a few of them, about half of the participants that I interviewed had met somebody that they were cautiously optimistic might turn into a relationship offline when COVID, when the lockdowns ended. Yes. Um, But a lot of them, it either petered out because trying to maintain that level of relationship with somebody you don't know and haven't met is quite Mm -hmm. difficult. Or when they met in person, the person just didn't match their expectations. There was something just off and they had built this idea of them in their head that just didn't quite match who the person was in reality. Yes. Um, and so that can be an issue if if people are talking for a long time. Most of the time, people's intention with online dating is to find somebody, have a conversation to make sure there's no red flags, and then meet in person to check if there's chemistry, if they are who they say they are. And from there, the first that first meeting is really the last stage of the filtering process. And from there, you can go on to have a date if it's positive experience. Um, So it's not really a first date. It's Mm -hmm. more the final stage of the filtering. And I think if people look at it that way, there's less disappointment maybe because a lot of first dates, the person like online dating is extremely difficult to get to know people through. Um, It's not a good medium for that. We know that. And so the first date is your chance to do that. But it's really online dating just gives you access to meeting more people. But the other things to be careful of, obviously, safety is a really big one, yes. um, particularly for women, but for everybody. Um, you're meeting someone you don't know and um, meeting in a public place, having a very low investment for a state, something like a coffee, public daytime where you can get away for it quickly and easily. Um, having an exit strategy in case someone has exhibits of red flags and mm-hmm. it, ju- it just doesn't feel good. And yeah, I think trusting your instinct that if something doesn't feel good to get out of it. I think women are brought up to go along with things and be nice and not cause a fuss and not cause a scene. And there are times where you just need to look out for yourself and maybe it comes across as a little rude and that's okay. You know, you've got to look after yes. your safety. Um, so that's, that's a key one. I think one of the red flags that quite a lot of people talk about I haven't seen research on it, but if someone's messaging you and you say, I want to meet for coffee in a public place for the first date, like that's a very understandable request. Absolutely. Yeah. And if they say, oh, I'd rather if you came to my house Mm -hmm. and you say, no, no, I'm not interested in doing that in the first date. Let's meet in this coffee shop. And they say, okay, grand. Yeah. And then they try and push maybe on the day they're like, oh, it's been a long day in work and I'm really tired. You know, you could just come to my house. That's them testing your boundaries. Yes. it's an early sign that they're not respecting what you're asking for and your safety and you looking mm-hmm. after yourself. And that's a really, really big red flag for me, I think. Yeah. Or something, another line that I've heard before, if you didn't want to, somebody said that they didn't want to go to their house on the first date and their response was, do you not find me sexually attractive? Was it? And I just, you know, that's very extreme. So it was, it's very, I would think somewhat manipulative or. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, it's definitely a red flag. red flags. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And, you um, know, I'd rather, I'd rather somebody displayed that over messaging before I ever met them, because then, you know, that that's just that's an it. absolute no go. <laughs> so yeah. And you, we you do, we're already. not in the, in the business of, of collecting red flags. A red flag is a red flag. Like, see yeah. it, stop ignoring them. Yeah. Um, Definitely what I would say when it comes to online dating and something I've observed is I would say when I'm coaching people for dating that, yes, you should use online dating because anywhere you can meet somebody is a great way to meet them. You know, increase your probability and of the encounters and the chance of finding love. But what I would say is very often when people match online, I think getting to the getting to know you stage, the longer that pulse comes, you know, kind of goes for the much more likely it is to be maintained. So sometimes people only ask one or two questions and then it's like, oh, what are you up to this evening? Or um, have you any plans for the weekend? I think the longer you can keep on getting to know them, like even I know it can sometimes sound cheesy and people hate the the talking phase um, of like, what type of food do you like? What do you like to do with the weekends? Like do you play sports, do you watch sports, all of those sorts of things. The longer that stays, the, the much more likely. But of course, with online dating, it really should just be used as a tool to make the connection. Like, I really think you're not going to know if you are attracted to someone unless you meet them in real life. It's not a real relationship. We would have heard um, 
a catfishing podcast from one of Ireland's celebrities, we'll say, um, last year. And I think everybody was horrified of what went on. But when I was out walking and listening to it, I was more shocked by the fact that people thought that they were in relationships with people that they had never met. And you cannot date someone you have never met in person. Like that is not a relationship. So, uh, you know, is there much of that out there? Is there many people that think they're in a relationship and they have never met the person? I I think there's a bit of it. And, you know, sometimes very, very successful relationships start that way, where let's say people are gaming in a group and they become friends with the group and they get to know them over time and they develop a relationship and then finally they meet. And it might be ages because they might be miles apart from each other in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're not like until you actually meet the person in person, you mm-hmm. can't be 100% sure whether it'll work. But no. if you're video chatting a lot and stuff, you know, it it can it can certainly feel very real and it might be real. Mm-hmm. But until you meet them in person, you really can't be certain. And certainly if you haven't video chatted them and stuff like that, then the chances of it being catfish or just someone misrepresenting themselves in yeah. who they are, something about themselves is quite high and the chance of it being something like a romance scam is quite high as well like you really need to at least be video chatting um in this day and age everybody has access to cameras to video chat if If they say they don't don't don't. believe them yes that's a a really red flag yeah Yeah. definitely um you know because we do certainly we can yeah yeah, we certainly can, like people build extremely close relationships and friendships online and particularly friendships. Like again, people who are shy and socially anxious find it easier to be themselves online and to mm-hmm. express themselves online and to find what's called like the real me online. Yes. And so they might find it easier to form relationships with people, but they bring those relationships offline. They are as likely to be successful in the real world. So it's mm-hmm. not that you know, if you meet someone online, it, it means it's less real or it's not real. It's just that you do for, for you know, sexual or romantic relationships, you do need to meet in person for friendship relationships. Yes, not necessarily. And always in public for the first time. Can always. I ask you, um, is there a timeline, an ideal timeline, OK, from matching how long you should talk to somebody before you meet up or is it a completely personal journey? I'd say there's quite a bit of variance. One study did find that 17 to 23 days is the ideal time. You don't want to go longer than that because you get that hyperpersonal communication effect that I was talking about where the gap between reality and fantasy can get too big. Okay. Um, so like most people prefer to meet fairly quickly. You do want to have a bit of a conversation because messaging is important to make sure to get a bit more information about the person to make sure there's no red flags that you can immediately see yes but you don't want to spend too long messaging somebody mm-hmm. um because you don't know they are who they say they are and you don't know if there's chemistry um yeah. so it is important to meet relatively quickly okay uh one of the facts that i found while also researching was 30 percent of online dating users are married which that's that's where did that fact come from? I haven't seen that. Uh, one. I have come across it a few times recently, actually. Um, I don't know the original source, but I've definitely come across them. Maybe you know yourself. Yeah. You're definitely on the more academic side, whereas I'm like, saw it must be true. But um, yeah, I've seen it a few times, and I would definitely say during lockdown, if anybody was using online dating, it could have been close to being true. Um, but I must look up the source of that. I did see another post um, from Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist from Match, Hinge and Bumble. And she was talking about the parody of choice. So the more like the more choices we have, the less likely we are to make any choice. And really, yeah. humans can only deal with between five to nine options. And you know yourself on Tinder, you can go through. It depends how, how fast your fingers are. Yeah. Um, but like up to 100 if you want to yeah. in like less than a minute. So, I know. Um, you know. How does I know, it's a really, choice? Yeah, it's know, a really interesting thing that we, we think having more choice is going to give us, make us have better choices or make better yes. decisions. And in actual fact, the opposite is true. So between five and nine or six or eight, depending on what research you look at, but they're very similar. It's like limited choices. We make better decisions. We're happier with our decisions. We're more satisfied with them. We have less regret over the ones that we left behind. The more choices we have, the more we regret the options that we left behind. And Mm -hmm. with online dating specifically, what you find is that as people scroll through, they are more open 
to the initial profiles they see, they're more positive about them and more likely to swipe right on them, for example. But as they go through more and more and more and more people, they get a higher rejection mindset. So they swipe right on far less people because they start to see they have all this choice. And so maybe there's a better one that will come along, one that has all Mm -hmm. the characteristics that they want. And so they get a stronger rejection mindset. So that can be a problem with online dating as well. So Mm -hmm. some sites try and get around that, like eHarmony gives you a limited number of matches each day, but it's a very different process. Yes. Um, to go through and a lot of people don't love that process mm-hmm. but having fewer choices tends to be better than more choices yeah is there is there a better site we'll say or a more uh, successful site than others or can it even be measured it's very hard to measure that i mean yeah what we know about the amount of people that form relationships and so on comes from the dating sites themselves and yes. they are strongly incentivized to tell you that it's successful. So it's yeah. very, very difficult to know. Um, mm-hmm. We do know that it mm-hmm. is successful. We do know that lots of people meet online. Um, there is a perception that some sites are more serious than others, that you're less likely to be looking for hookups if you're paying for the site mm-hmm. versus getting a free one, for example. Tinder skews younger. So yeah. it's you know, it's considered more of a hookup app. Whether or not that's true is very debatable. Young people are ten, have traditionally always been a little bit more sexually permissive. And so hooking up is probably a little more common than on, say, Match.com. But that's mostly because the demographics skew a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. We don't have data on what the most successful apps are. I was speaking with a, an ex-employee of one of the more, would we, would like to be, considered more prestigious dating apps and they were saying that they have a huge amount of dormant profiles on the app and so therefore people think they're buying into a more prestigious app and therefore a lot of the profiles are dormant so people are swiping 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 and of which by the way um you know i have read that people spend up to 10 hours a week online swiping Mm -hmm. if you're online dating and so there you could be swiping up to 10 hours um over the course of a week and a huge amount of dormant because they obviously need to give you that choice but not that many people are paying for it like a lot of people are using free apps yeah Yeah. which is insane Um, and i think dormant accounts are probably an issue across all the platforms bots are an issue on some of the platforms Mm -hmm. as well um fake accounts are also an issue so there's definitely that problem and you know, one of the things, of course, the algorithms that they use for matching are a closed shop. We, we don't know exactly how mm-hmm. they work. But one of the things that people have managed to work out is that when you join, say, Tinder um, or a different app, they show you lots of really attractive profiles at the start yes. because they want to make you feel like this place is full of the Amazing, best people. Yeah. And then as you swipe on people and as people swipe or not on you, they yeah. start to give you people who are a similar level of attractiveness as yourself based on the response of people to you yes. um, and other characteristics. So if you swipe on swipe right on too many people, you're not picky enough. They don't like that. They'll show you less people. If you're okay. extremely picky and you don't swipe on anybody, they don't like that either because that doesn't allow the app to work the way it's supposed to. Okay. And so they'll show you less people as well. Okay. So <laughs> there's all it's these different things that they're taking amount. into account in terms yes. of who you, who you see. Overall, how can people increase their chances of finding love online? So I think a really good profile is a help. Um, Taking, particularly if you're a woman, taking control of the process and going after the people that you're interested in rather than waiting to be messaged and waiting for those people to contact you. Um, I think recognising that what it is, is not a way to find love on the app, but recognizing that it's a way to increase the amount of people you can meet in person to see yes. if one of them is a person that you might be interested in. Yes. I think um, that's the most important thing. I think that you have to meet the person in real life and it is as simple as that. I have a rule for my masterclass that if you haven't met them within 30 days, you're to politely be polite, but I always say always be a person of high value. So, you know, don't you know, realize that the person you are talking to is a human being, be kind to them and, you know, always be a person that that is kind and and decent and everything. But if you haven't met them or if they're not making moves to meet within 30 days, definitely that's going to cut off would be, would be mine. Um, We've obviously discussed online dating, um, you know, but would your um, research have ever covered etiquette in relation to just, we'll say, even WhatsApp and um, text messaging and the times that it's okay to be accessible to people and not accessible? 
Not so much the etiquette of it, but I think it's interesting to look at it in terms of how we perceive messages through platforms. So there's obviously when we message somebody, those are the words that we send, right? They are only yes. a small part of the message. A bit like face to face, we've got a lot of nonverbal language. We've got the way we move our body, our body language, our tone of voice, our pitch, um, mm -hmm. whether we're blushing or not, all these kinds of things that convey a huge amount of information. We're missing all of that when we're messaging somebody on WhatsApp. But we're hardwired to communicate as humans. And so we find ways around that and ways to deal with that. So we use different kinds of punctuation, all caps. We use GIFs. We use emojis, like all these yes. ways that we communicate social information, emotional information. And we're very good at it. There is also quite a bit of more room for misunderstanding through that platform yes. because, again, you're not getting tone of voice, etc. But... Um, all the other things that we don't deliberately do also convey a message. So, for example, if you connect with somebody on an online dating site and their first message to you is a thousand words long, that conveys something. Maybe they're okay. a little too invested. Yes. <laughs> it's just a little too much. But if their first message is, hey, that's not great either. Like mm -hmm. that suggests there's no investment there whatsoever. Okay. If you're messaging somebody and they always instantly, instantly reply, I mean, some people might like that, but it might say they're really interested or it might say, have they nothing else going on ever mm -hmm. in their life that they can't take a moment away from their phone? Um, if they're messaging you at like four o'clock in the morning, you're like, well, what are they doing that they're now? Maybe yes. they're working night shift and you don't yeah. know that and that's fine. But it conveys a message that's different to messaging on your lunch break at like yes. 12 or half 12 in the afternoon. So all of those things and things like spell, spelling and grammar, really, really important. People are really turned off by bad spelling and grammar. Um, so it's really worth mm -hmm. spelling, spell checking stuff. Um, they all convey information and you have no control over how somebody else perceives that. As well yes. as the words that you say, you've no control over how somebody else perceives that because they bring their own background, education, experiences and dating yes. to the process and they'll interpret it in lots of different ways. So I have a great experiment that I do with my students where I've got a couple of profiles and I get them to read them. And then I say, you know, how many of you think it's a man or a woman? What age do you think they are over or under 30? What kind of person do you think they are? Yes. Do you think they'd be attractive or not? Oftentimes the room is half and half split for all of those questions. Okay. Half of them think it's a man, half of them think it's a woman. They'll say things like, oh, they said they bring chocolate as a gift. That sounds like a guy who's trying too hard or a woman would only say that. You yeah. know, it would never be a guy who'd say that. Or maybe or she's like they say they like sports. Yeah, yeah, so that's probably a guy. And it brings out so many different interpretations of tiny, tiny bits of information. Exclamation marks read more as feminine than masculine for example, because women yes. are more likely to use them. But of course, yeah. that's an average. So there's all these bits of information that we're communicating, some of which we have control over, some of which we don't. And we have no control over how the other person interprets it. So, you know, being nice and being polite on WhatsApp is really important. Being sarcastic often doesn't come across well. And if that's your form of humor, like it can work really well in person, might yeah. not work so well over text messages. It's funny. might not be getting the tone. It's funny that um, you say sarcastic because when I ask people, what's your personality like in their consultations? If they say I'm really sarcastic, I'm always like, stop right there. Okay. Because people's sense or like they're much more sensitive on date they're like um sensitivity awareness is even just way more heightened we'll say yeah. and anxious so I always say to them be careful not to use sarcasm when you're on a date because it can be much higher offense taken so it's funny you know, that that comes from online into real life as yeah. well yeah. And mismatches in humour, like there's so many different types of humour, you know, mm -hmm. one of the more attractive types generally is laughing with people or laughing at something in common. Laughing at people is not as attractive to a lot of people. There's the self-deprecating kind of humour. There's so many different types of humour and people think, well, I'm funny. So like people must yes. like me because I'm funny. Not everybody likes the same kind of humour. And so humour in a profile can sometimes be effective because if it attracts mm -hmm. someone with a similar style of humour to you, but it might turn a lot of people off. I think as well, um, kind of the art great conversation, I find, and a lot of my clients would say when they were online dating, that um, they find that if someone doesn't ask them questions, and it's the same on a date, if they're not asking you questions, 
the conversation goes flat very quickly. So if I'm coaching, I always say to people, make sure to ask people a question at the end of it. So, you know, answer what they've asked you, maybe throw in a little bit of a filler kind of thing mm-hmm. what you're doing with your day and then ask them a question themselves, not just the same question back, but to yeah. continue on the conversation because it is a bit of a dance, you know, both people yeah. kind of have to, to come, come with it. I think it is. And I think it's something that you see women talking about a lot after first dates with people they met online is he never asked me a single question about myself. He talked yeah. and talked. I asked him questions. He answered them. He mm-hmm. never threw the questions back to me. Um, yeah. So I think that's something women are encouraged from an early age to yes. communicate better, to listen to other people, to be kind to other people, to be yes. perceptive of how they're feeling. Um And so sometimes men aren't conditioned that way and they just don't realise what they're doing. I think it can work both ways because I certainly would have had clients say on both sides. And that's why I often say to people, the art of great conversation is not actually 50-50. The ideal Mm. is if the person, the other person is talking 60% of the time and you only 40% of the time um, is actually the ideal because they go away with a much more positive interpretation as to how the conversation went. It's There's so much to do with human behaviour. I think what you've studied is absolutely fascinating. It's quite funny. I was actually um, met a new client last week. We were chatting away. And I, she said, I love, she loved my podcast and did I have any more guests coming up? And I mentioned your name and she has actually done your, one of your courses. Oh. And yeah, and she said, oh my goodness, it is fascinating. Now, obviously confidentiality, I can't say, but yeah, no. she was hugely complimentary of you as a lecturer and the content of your course. So if anybody is interested in doing your course, where can they find you? So I teach in the Institute of Art Design and Technology in Dunleary and there's two different cyber psychology programs. There's a certificate program, which is one year, 20 weeks, and it's all online. So anyone in the world can do it. Um, yes. And it's an intro to the field. So it's like there's two little assignments. It's a really nice, easy one to do Wednesday evening, 7 to 9 p.m. Um, and a little bit of everything in the field of cyber psychology. And then the master's program that I'm running at the moment um, is a two-year part-time course. Uh, so first year, it's Wednesdays and Saturdays, Wednesday evenings and Saturday during the day. And second year, it's just Saturdays. And that covers things in a lot more depth. So we do modules on the different areas across the two years. Um, and you get a chance to do a big research um, project at the end of it on topic that's completely of your choice that you're really interested in. That was what I did my online dating one But it's a fantastic Fantastic. course. It's the course that I did and I've now come full circle and I'm program chair and running it. Um, But it really is a wonderful course. We have excellent, excellent lecturers on it as well. Fantastic. And where can people find you, Nicola, if they want to even reach out to you or if they want to follow you? Um, So they can follow me. I'm mostly on Twitter. So I'm at FoxNick on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at NicolaFH, I think on Instagram. And you can find me on my website, NicolaFoxHamilton.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I think we've gotten a huge amount of very relevant and uh, great snippets for people to, to help them on their dating and their online dating journeys. You've been listening to Would Like to Meet Podcast. If you would like to contact me for anything to do with matchmaking or date coaching, please contact me at lovehq.ie. And again, if you would like to listen to my other podcast with Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist and relationship expert, listen to us at Tough Love. Tough Love.